listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Before we dive into our message this morning, let's pause for a a brief word of prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning. I thank you for your word. Thank you that you are not a God who remains silent, but you speak to us. I pray that you would speak this morning. God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Big question that every single human being has. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Right? You can probably remember times in your life when this question, maybe you wouldn't have said it in so many words, but it was there. What is my purpose? Why am I here? Well, as Christians, we actually have an answer to this question. I am God's missionary. You are God's missionary. We hear the term missionary, and and it's a loaded term because we often think of of missionaries as being people who serve overseas, but we're coming to discover as we walk through this series that each and every one of us is called, commissioned, and sent by God to go to our mission fields and to participate in the work that God is already up to, that He is already doing. We've learned that the Bible, the Scriptures, itself is, is a missionary handbook all the way from Genesis to Revelation, right? At, at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they, they eat the fruit and they break the world, essentially, is, is what happens. And what does God do right after that? Well, He makes this promise that He's going to send someone to fix everything. He's going to send this, this Savior into the world to crush the head of the serpent. In other words, this is Jesus being prophesied way back in Genesis. God is already working His redemptive plan and putting the wheels in motion. And then we have the covenants. Covenants with Abraham, the covenants with with Moses and and with David, where God says, through you, through this people Israel, all nations on earth will be blessed, right? You're not just here for yourselves. As the prophet Isaiah says, it is too small a thing for you to just essentially be here for yourselves, but I, I, I made you to be a light for the nations, a light to the Gentiles. And then as we come into the New Testament, we see the great commission, these last famous last words that Jesus gives to his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go into the world and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, therefore I am, and I am with you always to the very end of the age, right? So this commission that God calls us and, and, and sends us out, not to just be about ourselves, but to be a missionary outpost for the sake of our neighbors. And missions, this, this, this missionary uh, kind of thrust that we have is not just another program among other programs, right? It's not as if, okay, we have the, the ladies' aid, we have the Tuesday night Bible study, we have Sunday school, we have our missions, we have the softball team. That No, mission is actually a part of our DNA because it is a part of God's DNA. You think of it that way. God doesn't have DNA, obviously, He's spirit. But 
in the sense that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by His very nature, sends. God the Father sends the Son. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon believers at Pentecost, and then believers in the Great Commission are sent out into the world. So this, this, this missionary mentality is not just one new thing. It's something that, that permeates our existence. It's who we are, not just what we do, right? And then a, a couple of weeks ago, just to, to kind of review, we spoke about how the kingdom of God is already at work, right? God is already at work ripening people among us. We use the metaphor of, of like a, a cornfield, and we heard in the parable of the, the sower today, Jesus used a lot of this kind of imagery to speak about the kingdom of, of God. And it's growing here and now among us. And we oftentimes approach people as if maybe this is the first time they've encountered the kingdom of God, as if God were not already on the loose, on the move, at work in people's hearts and, and, and minds. But, but He is. And the, our calling is to recognize that and to respond in obedience to the work that he is already doing, the things that he is already up to. So today what we're going to do is we're going to get extremely practical, right? We've kind of done a, a flyover of the, the big theological um, understanding of, of, of how Scripture calls us as missionaries. Today I want to talk about five mission practices. And this comes from a book by, the, by a guy named Greg Finke. He spoke at the CLB convention this last, um, this, just a few months ago, actually. And in his book, he talks about these, these five practices, he calls them. And as you hear these, just to, as a kind of a caveat, this is nothing new. Like, he's not suggesting some sort of brand new innovative way that we can go about um, disciplining ourselves to be disciple makers or to be missionaries. No, you, you read through this list and you're like, oh yeah, this is, duh, this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus taught. This is how he lived his life. So the five practice, seeking the kingdom, number one. Number two, hearing from Jesus. Number three, talking with people. Number four, doing good. And number five, ministering through prayer. Today we're going to cover just the first two of these. Next week we'll finish up three through five. So let's look at the very first one. Seeking the kingdom. As we heard in our, our children's sermon, the message, that, that, that Bible verse we learned the, the actions to. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seeking God's kingdom first. Number one. Number one priority in your life, in my life, should be seeking God's kingdom. This is why it's a part of the, the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. Now, the Greek word used here for seeking is zeteo. Can you say that with me? Zeteo, zeteo. And it means more than just kind of finding a hot dog or, or woody or the ping pong ball up here. The words that tell, oh, it has to do with your will. It has to do with your desires. It has to do with what you want. 
So when we're talking about seeking the kingdom of God first, it's not just the external actions. We're talking about our hearts. We're talking about what it is that we want, that we desire, that our affections are most oriented toward above all things. This is what Jesus calls us to do when he's talking about seeking the kingdom. One New Testament scholar says this, his name's R.T. France, and he says, seeking the kingdom of God first means resolving to live under God's direction and control. It's a good way to summarize it, resolving to live under God's direction and control. Now, I don't know about you, but living under someone else's control and someone else's direction is not the default mode of my heart. I'd rather live under my own direction and control. I'd rather be my own king of my own kingdom. I'd rather focus on expanding my own territory, of building my wealth, of expanding my my reach and my own influence and my own power and my own authority and kind of building up walls around my kingdom, right? So living under God's reign and and rule, in other words, seeking the kingdom, does not come naturally if you're a human being. Just put it that way. Maybe here would be a good question to, to ask yourself. What is it, when you wake up in the morning, what is it that you want most of all? What do you want more than anything? What is that thing that the first thing that, that pops into your brain that you're like, man, I got to get after it. I really, I really just, I, I got I to gotta do this. I got to, this is the thing I want. This is the place I, I have to go. What, what is that thing? That gives you some idea of how our affections, our desires, our wills are oriented. And here's what I think is a good test case for this to see whether, where, what you are seeking, most of all, is how you would answer this question. How do you treat the interruptions in your life? Do you treat them as opportunities or inconveniences? I can tell you how I would answer How do we treat the interruptions to our lives? Are they opportunities or are these inconveniences? I'm a pastor, and guys, let me confess to you, there are times I'm too busy doing ministry to minister, right? Like my job involves doing ministry, like I'm, I'm, I'm busy, I'm too busy with this Bible study prep in order to meet with this person or, or something, right? Like we get fixated and we, we get this kind of tunnel, tunnel vision. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this, talking about interruptions and how we treat them. He says, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own, quote-unquote, or real 
quote-unquote life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending day by day. You can go to the next slide, Stan. Okay. I believe you. I believe you, man. But isn't this true that we, we treat interruptions as if they were the thing we have to move past so that we can get on with our real life, rather than saying, you know what, maybe God has put this person, this interaction in my life for a very specific reason, and maybe this is the encounter I need to have today, however much it may inconvenience me. Now, this is not to say we go about looking for inconveniences or as if we have nothing else to do than just kind of be distracted, right? God gives us vocations, and we are to remain faithful to them. But at the same time, when my time, just that phrase even, my time becomes mine, I feel like I have ownership over it, that indicates my priorities are not in line. So just a simple self-reflective question, is there buffer in your life for kingdom priority? Is there buffer in your life for kingdom priorities? Is there enough room? Is there space? Is there any buffer? Is there any margin for kingdom priorities? Kind of the whole gospel answer to this is that Jesus made the bandwidth for us, right? It's not as if we, were, we earned His favor. Instead, what Jesus does is out of His pure grace and mercy, He made us His top priority. We weren't an inconvenience. See, He sacrificed not just His time, but His life. The King of the kingdom gave up His own life to make us citizens. Jesus had the bandwidth, He had the buffer for us. So that's kind of point number one. That's the, the first mission practice, right? Is seeking the kingdom straight out of Matthew 6, 33. Number two, hearing from Jesus. Romans 10, 17 says this. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith comes from what? Hearing. Faith comes from hearing the message. It comes from, from hearing God's Word. And we need to hear that over and over and over again. At uh, Inspiration Point Bible Camp, many of you are, are familiar with that. You've, you've been out there before. I grew up attending there on summer camps, and we played this game. From one summer, I remember, you, you had to partner up and uh, what you did is you blindfolded one of the partners, and then you separated across this, this big open field, right? And there were maybe, I don't know, 20 people in your group. Everybody was partnered up. And they'd say, all right, on the count of three, I want you to lead the blindfolded person to you with just the sound of your voice, right? One, two, three. And just a cacophony of, of voices, everybody screaming and, and yelling and, and trying to get, you know, the, your partner to come to you and whoever was would do that the fastest one was, was they won the, the contest was, was sort of the idea. And you had to, to hear your partner's voice 
like continually. It couldn't just be an intermittent kind of thing. So think of it this way for a second. Imagine you and me go out to a football field, okay? We're at opposite ends, right? I'm in one end zone, you're in the other end zone, and you are blindfolded, okay? And I say, all right, I want you to follow my voice. Follow the sound of my voice. Come to me. Come, come right now. Walk. Walk towards my voice. And then you do that. You start walking towards my voice. And then I go and sit in the bleachers for an hour. And at first, you kind of started out sort of the right direction, right? But it doesn't take long before you're, you're, you're veering off into the, into the out of bounds and maybe you're, you're bumping into the, the sidelines and the, the practice dummies and all this stuff. And an hour later, I finally come back and I say, all right, come this way, this way, I'm over here. And then I go sit down in the bleachers again for an hour. And you start out kind of oriented toward me, but then little by little, you start to go off course, right? That's what it's like if the only time you're hearing God's Word is Sunday mornings. If the only time that you are hearing from God's Word is during what I'm doing right now, the sermon, that's not enough. I shouldn't say enough. That's not a good term to to use, but it's not a good practice because in, in order to to really hear the sound of someone's voice, you need to hear it continually. You need to hear it regularly, more than just, just kind of once a week. Otherwise, we, we hear it, and then we get so turned around, and it does not take long. And where do we go to, to hear from Jesus? I love this little meme that we have here. You, maybe you've seen it before. It's pretty good, right? Like, some guy's just talking and asking, God, please, I need, I need a word from the Lord. And God's like, well, you got the Bible. <laughs> I am speaking every time you open up my word. It's like this, the other end of the, the phone line to God. It, it's right there, right? So we turn to God's word when we want to hear from Jesus. And if the Bible is God's missionary handbook, then, man, we actually kind of have to know this thing, don't we? We kind of have to open it up and read it regularly. And here's the thing. There's a lot of different ways that that this can happen, right? One of the the big ones that we often talk about is is, is kind of a a newfangled term. It's not a specifically biblical term, but it's not a bad term either. We talk about quiet time. Does this sound familiar to people, right? Like have your own devotional, private devotional time reading God's Word and, and praying, and this, this is a great practice. But that's just, just one of the ways that we hear from God. We also hear from it, like right now on Sunday mornings, right? We come together and we sit under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. We sing hymns together and, and, and good worship music. Let me stress the word good. Good worship music, some of what's out there is actually just, if you search enough, there are psalms that have been put to to music, and that's all that it is. So there's some, some really solid worship music, and it, it activates something else in your heart that I think words alone are not able to, and in that sense, it can be helpful. So yeah, preaching, listening to sermons, right? We have technology, we have podcasts, we have all this stuff, which is a blessing and a curse, but if we're discerning, there are, there are ways to, to, to benefit from that. We have Christian friends who can speak God's Word to us as well. 
And I think a lot of times we tend to overcomplicate things. A lot of times we make it the goal of Bible reading to just gain more biblical knowledge, right? To have more information, to deposit more intellectual material into, into the bin. As if me being able to point on a map to where the land of Canaan is somehow aids me in my salvation. Uh, it doesn't. It's a good thing to know? Yes. Is it a good thing to know? Yes. Does it help us understand who Jesus is better? If that is the case, then absolutely it is helpful, it is beneficial, and we should know that. But we forget what is the main truth of the Bible. Well, our catechism lays this out very clearly. The main truth of the Bible, say it with me, is that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Let's say the verse together too. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The main truth of the Bible is pretty simple. The Bible is a big book. There's a lot of information to know. It spends a, you can spend a lifetime, and you should, trying to learn and to understand it better, right? But that main truth, that nugget, is very, very simple. So I'm going to give two warnings here right now. Number one, warning about devotional materials, right? I have not done a, a thorough study of every devotional material that's out there. But I will tell you this. In my experience, you should take a big grain of salt with any devotional material that you pick up. There's some gems out there. There are some gems. There are some really, really solid ones. But there's a lot of garbage. There is a lot of fluff. And it takes a lot of discernment and a lot of time to sift through that. And honestly, like a high percentage of them are just bad. Let's be honest. So my suggestion to you with devotional materials is to use them sparingly. You can't survive on a constant diet of cotton candy. You need the steak. You need the meat. You need the good stuff, right? And cotton candy is not an, an adequate substitute for that. I think this is kind of a helpful way to look at it. Here's, here's the difference between reading devotional material versus reading Scripture firsthand for yourself. It's kind of like this. You've seen these, these guidebooks, right? If you're going to go on a trip to uh, Yellowstone Park, you get the guidebook, right? And there's a map in there, and it highlights everything, and there's pictures, and you're like, oh, man, this, this looks wonderful. I, I can't wait to, to visit Yellowstone. And you can read it, and you can know it, and you can understand it, and you can memorize it, right? You, in a sense, you could say you know Yellowstone. But that's no substitute for getting in your car, driving to Montana, getting out and putting your hands underneath that waterfall and feeling the water and the stone for yourself. That's Scripture firsthand versus purely a devotional kind of approach. That's the warning about devotional materials. Now, I also have a warning about Bible reading, believe it or not. Bible reading and Bible reading plans quickly become legalistic. 
they become all about the rules and just kind of checking the box off on the Bible reading plan. I've done this myself, and we say, well, I've, I've done my duty. So I don't know if many of you remember Jeff Foxworthy. He do this thing, you might be a redneck if, right? Yeah? Okay, well, here we go. You might be a legalist if you feel shame for missing a day. Shame indicates what? That you are a failure, not just that you have failed, but that your worth is less. In other words, you're not resting in the righteousness of Christ. You might be a legalist if you feel like an inferior Christian if you don't know your Bible as well as someone else. You might be a legalist if you're constantly worrying if you've read enough. You might be a legalist if you take great pride in telling other people how many times you've read through your Bible. See, Bible reading and Bible reading plans, often I've noticed this in my own heart. They can lead to spiritual pride. They can lead to attitudes of superiority. And this is not a problem with the Bible. This is a problem with the human heart. It's a me problem. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In other words, more and more knowledge, more and more information. You've noticed this in, in people who are experts in the, their field. There can be, at times, a sense of, of pride and arrogance that kind of creeps in. But love, on the other hand, love, selfless love, which doesn't even give a thought to, to your own accomplishments, that leads to building other people up. So I, I think that the best posture that we can have as we approach the Scriptures in order to hear from Jesus uh, is what Gretchen Ronovic says in, in her book, Ragged, Spiritual Disciplines for the Spiritually Exhausted. Here's what she says. God loves the humble cry of His child that says, fix my heart because it isn't doing what it should. Help me crave the right things. And here it is. Make me so uncomfortable without your word that I cannot be comfortable or settled without it. Man, I can get on board with that. God, make me so uncomfortable without your word that I can't even be settled without it. Because God's word is, is a gift. So just to kind of review where we've gone today, the first two mission practices, seeking the kingdom and hearing from Jesus. Next week, we'll talk about three through five, talking with people, doing good, and ministering through prayer. I am God's missionary. Can you say that with me? I am God's missionary. Friends, you have been blessed to be a blessing so may God empower you by His Spirit to be the church in Osakis, Todd County, Douglas County, and beyond. And may He give us hearts that desire to put these mission practices to good use for the sake of our neighbors. 
Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K J O L H A U G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.